Amen. Children, you are now dismissed. May you have a good class. Learn lots about Jesus. Ah, uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. All right. Thank you, Mason, for giving me the shout out, the yell that we needed. Uh, well, don't forget, after the service, there is the luncheon in the gym. Whether or not you brought food, you are welcome to come. Enjoy that wonderful food with us as we get to connect with Eric and Vicki. Let me just tell you about sacrifice for a moment. I was offered free tickets to the Ravens game today, and I said no, so we can hang out with Eric and Vicki. Sacrifice, my friends. None of you have any excuse. Lunch in after the service. All right, let us pray, and we will dive right into the word of the Lord together. Uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are a God who loves us. We thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for us. I thank you for the work that is happening around uh, our world through CMA missions, through missionaries like Eric and Vicki. Father, we are blessed to hear what you are up to. And we know that, as your scripture says, it's not just the regions beyond, it's the regions near us as well. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that as we talk about the region near us, our neighborhood, that you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will enliven the words of Scripture today to our hearts, that it won't just be an educational exercise, but, Father, it will be an exercise in transformation where we become someone new, not just learning something new. Be with us now in your name. Amen. Before we begin, also, I'd be remiss to say, uh, if, if I didn't say thank you to you, church, as, as you appreciated us this morning, Hillary and I deeply appreciate you. Uh, we love this church. We are so glad that God has called us here. It's been a year and a, a three or four months now, and we are just consistently blessed. And every turn, we experience God's blessing, and that's because of you. So thank you uh, for loving Hillary and I. This morning, we're going to look at uh, a scripture passage that talks about our neighbors. Why, uh, why are we talking about that? Well, because we are looking at Acts, where Acts tells us that we are to reach to our Jerusalem. So we're going to focus on our Jerusalem today. And the sermon title is, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And as you see, Fred Rogers' wonderful face is right there. And the reason is, is because he was a great neighbor. And I'm going to share with you a video that has uh, the first time he sang, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And the last time he sang, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Because his life was marked by being a good neighbor. So let's watch these two songs as you can connect to history with Fred Rogers. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood 
with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Hi. Glad to see you today. I shall button my buttons on the sweater, change my shoes, and get ready to have some time with you in this very special studio of ours. Do you ever change your shoes when you come home from someplace? Oh, your school or your work or get ready to play. How are you doing with your tying? Took me a long time to learn how to make that and that into a bow. Mm -hmm. But I kept practicing and practicing and practicing and finally learned quickly. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so. Let's make the most of this beautiful day, beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? It is a beautiful day. Doesn't matter what it's like outside, can be a beautiful day inside. Mm -hmm. Wow, it's better than me singing it to you, amen? <laughs> uh, his, his life was marked uh, by being a good neighbor. I don't know if you know, many of you probably do because you're probably good yinzers. Uh, you know that he was a pastor, uh, he was a reverend, he was a minister of the gospel. And he didn't just talk about neighborhood neighborliness on television. He fought for kids. He went to court uh, to challenge the government who was trying to shut down public broadcasting. And he went to the mattresses, as they say, for young people. His life was marked by caring for the neighborhood. He understood what God had said about his neighborhood and how he was to fight for it, protect for it, and minister to, excuse me, to it. I'm a little under the weather today, so if something happens to my voice, you know why. Uh, but he was a, a person who fought for the neighborhood. And like Mr. Rogers, you and I are called to minister to our neighborhoods. We are called to be good neighbors. We are called to be missionaries to our neighborhood. Charles Spurgeon said this, and it's a pretty, uh, pretty convicting quote, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. That's a pretty striking phrase that he would say. 
But as you and I are placed in the areas of life where we are, the neighborhood that we live in, we are sent ones. We are missionaries. Our ecclesiology, our study and belief in church should meet our missiology, our view and passion of missions. They should come together, and they come together most beautifully in our neighborhood. And we're going to talk about the importance of being neighbors, because the gospel calls us to be abnormal types of neighbors. We, we should not be the normal neighbors in the neighborhood. As believers, we are called to be abnormal neighbors. We are called to be abnormal neighbors. We're not to be the norm. We are to be different. We are to be light in the darkness. We are to be those who bring that light to the darkness, where we bring the light to those areas where the light has not been or is not. We are sent ones. We are sent to our neighborhood. So the question that we're going to look at this morning as we unpack the scriptures of Luke and Acts, the question that we will ask is, how can we minister to our Jerusalem as neighbors? How can we minister to our Jerusalem as neighbors? Turn to Acts really quickly with me as we look at Acts 1.8. A familiar passage, a very familiar missions passage as well. And we as the Alliance are called to be an Acts 1.8 family. And that means that we are passionate about doing what we are called to do from this passage. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Before we even go on, we must recognize that in order to minister to our Jerusalem, we must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you turn to Luke 10, 25 through 37 with me. It's a familiar passage, but I want to unpack it for us this morning. Because I believe that this answers the question, how can we minister to our Jerusalem as neighbors? Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go 
and do likewise. You go and do likewise. If we're called to be abnormal neighbors, how do we live that out? How do we minister to our Jerusalem? How are we missionaries, those who are sent to our neighborhood? How are we to live this out? Jesus answers this question in this passage. And I believe the first thing that we can see, which is really convicting, which is challenging to our soul, is a quote from Warren Wearsby. And he says this, It is much easier to maintain a religious system than it is to improve the neighborhood. That is a strong, convicting statement. That it can be easy to have our religious system, the church that we do, the, the com- coming together for worship and hearing a passage of Scripture. It is something different and altogether more difficult to improve our neighborhood. Not just the neighborhood of the church, but the neighborhood of you, each individual. And so I pose a couple questions to you before we continue. If you moved, or if the church were to shut down, would the neighborhood grieve the loss, have no idea of the loss, or celebrate the loss? <laughs> would they grieve it, or would they celebrate it? Would they know that you moved or not? Would they know that we as a church shut down or changed or moved or not? Because the answer to that question allows us to see, are we ministering to our personal Jerusalem? Or are we simply living in a religious system? We are called to improve the neighborhood. We are called in Acts 1-8 as empowered believers by the Holy Spirit to go into our neighborhoods and minister to those neighborhoods, to improve them, to make them different, to make them better. And only a Spirit-empowered believer can do that. So, how do we do that? Jesus tells a story. This young man asks a question, and Jesus either, when you look at the Scriptures, when many people ask him a question, he either asks a question back, or he tells a story. And so here he tells a story. And I think the first thing that you and I can grasp, the action that you and I can take in order to minister to our Jerusalem as neighbors is this. We need to begin to see every person in our Jerusalem as a neighbor. We need to begin to see every person in our Jerusalem as a neighbor. Someone we are to be an abnormal neighbor to. Like this story Jesus tells of this man who was robbed and beaten. And he's on the trail. And there's a priest, a holy man, who goes around on the other side, sees the person beaten, bloodied, probably on the brink of death. And he says, eh, it's not worth it. I'm just going to go on the other side. And then a Levite comes and sees the man bloody and broken and beaten. And all of his things are gone. And he too moves to the other side and does not help the man. But a Samaritan, a person who is considered a half-breed, a person who is considered unlovable, a person who is not considered a neighbor to the Jews because they looked at them in disgust. They had a deep-seated racism and ethnic disgustedness with this group of people that when they would travel through or around Samaria, they would choose to not go through but around. It would shorten their trip 
to go through Samaria, but they would choose not to. A Samaritan sees a broken, beaten Jew upon the path, and he is the one who stoops down and helps this man. Now, Jesus purposefully used the Samaritan to shame the Jews who were asking that question, in particular, this arrogant young man who was trying to trick or entrap Jesus. You see, what Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter what the person looks like. It doesn't matter the person's background. It doesn't matter the person's socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter where that person lives or what neighborhood they live in. It doesn't matter their political persuasion. That person is your neighbor. We need to begin to see every person in our Jerusalem as our neighbor. The person in line at Walmart, whether you live near them or not, they're your neighbor. When we begin to have this view of every person as our neighbor, it changes how we interact with people. It changes how we interact with our community because we begin to have a passion for those who are close to us. Begin to see every person in our Jerusalem as a neighbor. Here, a young man who's arrogant is trying to trick Jesus into saying something wrong. And he shows himself to be unloving. He shows himself to be unloving. He asks, well then, who's my neighbor? If you're so smart, tell me. And Jesus tells him this story. And what he's challenging this man with in us is that being a neighbor is walking the streets, not sitting on the couch. Why do I say that? Well, because these guys, as they walked past, they didn't want to deal with the problem. They didn't want to deal with the issue. Now, there are some things where a priest would become ceremonially unclean, and he would have to cleanse himself if he touched this man. But that man was not worth that time. That man needed a place to live, but that man was not worth the money to spend upon them. To the, Jew, uh, the Jewish priest and the Levite, this man was not worth it. They were sitting on the couch, and they were seeing the problem before them. They weren't even you know, blind to what was going on. Their eyes were open. They saw this man. They saw the pain and the brokenness and the woundedness, just like you and I see that pain in our communities. We can look at the world and say, oh, it's going to hell in a handbasket. This place is getting all kinds of messy. Ah, what are we doing about it? Are we trying to bring heaven to the hell in the handbasket? Are we trying to help that person get picked up off the ground? Are we willing to sacrifice money, time to help those people? We need to be in the streets, not on the couch. You and I as neighbors, we are to interact with those around us. We are to interact and love those near us. To minister to our Jerusalem, we actually have to do something. (laughs) It's an action. It's not something that we can sit idle. You and I are called to be sent. We are called to be light. And that's what Spurgeon means when he said every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. Are we living the missionary life? We don't have to go to Senegal. 
Although some of you are probably called to go to regions beyond and you've not listened or answered to that call, do it. Go. But understand that your neighborhood is your first missionary field. That your Jerusalem is the place that you are to be ministering to now. Are you? Are we? Are we making an impact on our neighborhood? You see, even though these priests and Levites knew the law, even though they were the chosen ones, even though they were called to minister to their fellow Jews, that was their job. They still ignored a fellow Jew who was broken, beaten, bloodied. The reality is is that we do that often in our own lives. I've done it. I do it too often. I ignore the problems around me. Put blinders on. But we need to walk the streets as believers. The, The word neighbor in Greek, plesion, means those nearby. That word, those nearby, he's like those who are near you at any given time. That is your neighbor. That is your neighbor. That person. I remember a time, and I might have shared this story with you before, where I failed to be a neighbor. I was at Giant Eagle on the north side of Pittsburgh, and I was in a checkout line, and this, this girl who was doing the checkout, I noticed she had scars on her hands. She was a cutter. And the Holy Spirit said to me, talk to her about how I love her. And I ignored it. Because, you know, I'm a young guy, she's a young girl, be kind of weird, like, hey, God loves you. She might think I'm hitting on her or something, so I'm not going to do that. Well, what's interesting is this girl kept showing up in my life randomly. We had an intern at the church for youth ministry, and guess who his girlfriend was? That girl. And then the Holy Spirit said, well, you're not in the checkout line anymore. She's standing right next to her boyfriend, why don't you say something? And I didn't. I failed in my neighborliness. God was calling me to love this person, to speak a word of truth to them, that God loves them and wants to rescue them from the area of the pain of the the place of life that they are. She didn't live in my community, but she was my neighbor because she was nearby. How many of those divine moments do we ignore? Because we don't want to sacrifice the time. We don't want to sacrifice our embarrassment. In order to minister to our Jerusalem, we need to take those moments and follow through with them. Because you might be planting a seed or you might be the person that God uses to reap the harvest in that person's life. It doesn't matter if you're embarrassed. Go for it. Pray with them. Pray for them. That is neighborly. Stop ignoring your neighbor and start loving them. Jesus challenged this young man to start loving his neighbors. The man tried to entrap him. Here's what Evans, a a wonderful, (coughs) a wonderful commentator on the book of Luke, he said, wishing to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Implicit in his question is an excuse for failing to keep the second commandment. That is, one must love only one's neighbor when properly identified and qualified and not others. He was saying, okay, well, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. That means I only love my neighbor. Right? That's it. And he says, well, then who is my neighbor? Tell me, Jesus, who I'm supposed to love. 
And Jesus tells this story. And that guy did not live in that Samaritan's hometown. I guarantee it. He didn't live in the same place that the Samaritan lived, but he was nearby. He saw this person and he had compassion. He loved him. He took care of him. He brought about all kinds of change in this man's life. The man probably would have died, but he chose to stoop down and help this man. He became a Jerusalem-bound missionary and showed the gospel of love. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Then he turned the question. He's like, which person do you think was a neighbor? And the man was forced to answer, well, the person who showed mercy. Of course that's the person that was the neighbor. And he said, go and do likewise. So who are the people that are nearby you? Who are the people in your life that you work with, that you go to school with? Who are the people that you interact with often? That is your neighbor. Are you ministering to the Jerusalem that you live in? Are you loving your neighbor, those who are nearby? Because we are called to do that. We are called to be missionaries to our Jerusalem. And remember, it's only through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask, Lord, I love my Jerusalem. I'm going to pray for my Jerusalem because prayer is the primary work of God's people, as we say in the CMA. I'm going to pray for my Jerusalem, but I'm not just going to be on my knees. I'm going to get out and I'm going to be used by you, Lord. How can I be a minister to my Jerusalem? How often do we ask that question? How often during our times of prayer are we saying, how can I be a missionary in my Jerusalem? Because, my friends, we are called to be missionaries to our Jerusalem. Who are those nearby? Are we loving them? Are we showing them the gospel through sacrifice and love? Are we telling them about the gospel from the word of God? Are our actions matching up with our words? There is so much that's going on in our society right now that many of you would agree. There's so much division along so many different lines. There's so much division, and it's not just Ravens versus Steelers fans. It's gotten a lot more intense than that. Steelers are better, and we all know it. But there is this intensity to the division that is happening. And it's not just the world, it's the church. We are called to be a unified body under one banner that is Jesus. And so as we look at our neighbors, despite where they come from, despite how much money they have or do not have, despite their ethnicity, despite all of those things, we are called to love them. We need to not pay attention to those areas of division when it comes to loving our neighbor. We are called to just love our neighbor. Are we doing that? Or are we allowing those areas of division to hinder our ability to love those who are different? Those who are nearby but not like us. You see, the Samaritan shamed the Jews because the Jew that was beaten and bloodied was not like him, yet he put compassion and mercy. This Jew probably would have shunned the Samaritan had he not been beaten. He probably would have walked around on the other side and ignored the Samaritan, but the Samaritan shamed the Jews in this story to show them that those lines of division do not exist when we are to be missionaries to our neighborhood. 
My friends, we've allowed the enemy to win so much and so many battles because of these areas of differentness. We need to release those and love our neighbors despite, because Jesus loved us despite us. I once moved into a house who the, the previous tenant was known to be a Christian. The previous tenant was known to be a Christian, and they were not well-liked. We moved into this house, and our neighbors came, and they said, hopefully you guys are a little bit different, because the person that last lived in this house was known as the neighborhood grump. They loved Jesus because they told us about it, but they were grumpy. Everything that they did was grumpiness. There was a little kid who was learning how to ride his bike who decided to pull in the driveway to pull around to get back to his house, and the man runs out of the house, get out of my driveway! No, I'm not, I'm not even lying. This is a legit reality that happened in this neighborhood. And the name of Jesus was tainted because this man, this family, this group of people did not love their neighbors. They might have said that they did. And when they would invite them to church, they wouldn't come for obvious reasons. That's not the night type of neighbor we are to be. We are to be neighbors of love, compassion, and sacrifice. Our presence in the neighborhood should be marked by love, not grumpiness. My prayer is that now when they look at our house, they say, that's a house of love. Our kids can walk in, get something to drink, play some video games, play football in the backyard, jump on the trampoline in the backyard, and go home satisfied because they were well-loved. Hillary and I, we were in our neighborhood a couple kids came over, and we argued lightly together in front of the neighbor boy. And he, has, uh, he, is, he lives with a single mom, and his dad's not really fully in the picture. And she said, we need to apologize to him because we were fighting a little bit. I was like, I don't need to apologize to this kid. Why would I have to apologize? I didn't smack him or yell at him. She said, no, we need to apologize. Because he probably has never been apologized to when he sees fights. And so we did. We took it upon ourselves to apologize. And he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. But to us, it meant something. It was an important moment for us to be neighbors to that little kid. Now, do we always succeed? Absolutely not. I could tell you a thousand stories how we failed for the one where we succeeded. But we are to be marked by love as neighbors. To love our neighbor, Jesus then would go on to display in this story, to love our neighbor, sacrifice is required. Listen, sometimes loving our neighbor will be very inconvenient to us. Loving our neighbor will not always be convenient. There is going to be sacrifice involved. Check out the story of this Samaritan. He went to the man. And we don't know what he necessarily believed, but many Samaritans did believe in the God of the Jews, and they worshipped him in different places because they weren't really welcome in the other places of worship. So he very well may have had the same uh, belief that he had to cleanse himself after touching someone who was bloody and beaten. So he would sacrifice his time. He actually was probably riding on his animal when he picks up this broken man and puts him on his own animal. And he was obviously going somewhere. He obviously had a destination of where he was going because he was walking on the street to go somewhere. You don't just randomly, aimlessly walk around the road saying, I've got nothing to do. 
And if you do, you've got to do something. Because that's crazy boring. Your life needs a little bit more spice. Right? But this guy was going somewhere. He had direction. He was moving. But then he also gives money to the innkeeper. He walks him over to the innkeeper and he says, here's the money. And then he does something even crazier. He says, you know what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to visit this guy. Not only did I put him in the hospital, but I'm going to come back and make sure he's okay. And all of his medical bills, I'm going to cover. How many of you wish when you're in the hospital, somebody walks in and says, I want to cover all his medical bills? Hallelujah! Right? This guy sacrificed time. He sacrificed his, his schedule. It was not convenient for him to help this man, but he chose to do so. To love our neighbor, sacrifice is required. We might have to spend time with people who have a different vernacular than us. They might have a completely different religion than us. They might have a completely different political persuasion than us. They might have a completely different ethnicity than us. And that's going to be uncomfortable. But the gospel was never promised to be comfortable. In fact, it's said over and over and over again that if you live the gospel, it will be uncomfortable. People will not like you but you're to live it out anyways. To live out the gospel. To love our neighbor is to sacrifice. To love our neighbor is to make them more important than ourselves. You see, this Samaritan was not worried about being a hero. He was moved by love and sacrificed his time, his money, to care for this man who just lost everything and almost his life. To love our neighbor is to make them more important than ourselves. And in a society, in a culture that says you are the most important, that's a difficult pill to swallow. Where we look at our neighbor and say they are more important than me. How can I live that out? How can I love them? That's going to take sacrifice. We look at missionaries who go overseas, like Eric and Vicky, and we say, wow, they've sacrificed a lot. They've sacrificed the life that we have in America, and they're working with painful stories of people, and we, we say, oh, wow, look at the sacrifice. And they would say, we hope that you too would sacrifice where you live. I don't know, maybe, right? Yeah, he said, yeah, I'm right. I read his mind. But there's this sense that you and I too can sacrifice. We can't just laud these stories and say, oh, look at all the sacrifice. We need to join in that sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed everything for you. You can sacrifice a little bit of time. You can sacrifice a little bit of comfort. Are we doing so? Are we ministering to our Jerusalem? Philippians 2, we can see that Jesus left heaven for you. I, I can't imagine that being king of the universe and stepping down into humanity on purpose was comfortable. I, I can't picture that being a comfortable thing. But he did it. For you and for me, to love our neighbor is to make them more important than ourselves. The next thing that we can see is that being a neighbor is living out and inviting in. Living out and inviting in. This past week at District Prayer Conference, our speaker said that hospitality is one of the most neighborly things we can do. He stated that in Greek, the word for hospitality is love of the stranger. And so if we're going to be living out the gospel, we need to be inviting them into community with our families. We need to say, you know what, let's have dinner together. Come on over. 
Come on over and have a popsicle if they're into popsicles. Right? We need to be inviting people in. As we live out the gospel, we need to invite people in. This man invited this broken man into his life by putting him on his own animal, walking him to the inn, paying for his medical bills, and coming back to check on him. There was a relationship that was built. I'm sure that man, as he woke up and realized that a Samaritan had taken care of him, he was probably supremely humbled. Are we loving our neighbor? Are we living out the gospel and inviting people in? Because that's what we're called to do. 1 Peter 3.15 talks about if we make Christ our King, our Lord, people will begin to ask us questions about the faith that we have. But that means that we need to be living among, that we need to be out there on the streets, not on the couch that we need to be in the world but not of the world. That is such a hard line for so many people. But we're called to it in the world but not of the world. That we must be living out and inviting in. Are we loving the stranger? Because our neighbor might be a stranger to us, but we are called to love them. Hospitality is inviting them in. We should seek to know and love the stranger. Seek to know and love the stranger. If we are to be ministers to our Jerusalem, if we are to model Fred Rogers' love for the neighborhood, a pastor who cared for those nearby him, we need to seek to know and love them. Are we spending time to know our neighbors? It's an interesting thing. In the city, when Hillary and I lived there, no one was on their front porch. You had to like force the process of getting to know your neighbor. There was this inclusionary, we need to hide inside type of reality. Even the kids, they didn't play outside very often. And when they did, we sent the kids out to play with them. But I mean, it was a brick street and had all kinds of broken sidewalk and things like that. So it wasn't like they could ride their bikes very easily without getting hurt. Here it's a little bit different. There's a little bit more neighborliness. I, in the first week and a half of living there, Hillary and I learned the names of our neighbors. But are we seeking to do more than that? Are we inviting them into our home? Are we seeking to love them, to show them love? Because Jesus challenges us to do that very thing. And as we talk about regions beyond, as we talk about working in missions, as we talk about our middle name as Missionary Alliance, as we discuss this this month, we've got to get our Jerusalem right. Because I believe if we can't get mission right locally, we won't get it right globally. We might be able to say, you know what, I'm going to send money, I'm going to pray but we don't recognize the sacrifice or the pain or the struggle of getting to know people that are not like us. When we enter into that missionary work in our Jerusalem, we can understand a little bit more about what's going on in Senegal, how tough it is to, to really relate because they live in a place of 98% difference than them. I think it said only 200 plus people are Christians that say we're Christians in that area of roughly five million people. Man, that's everyone is a stranger. If we don't get it right locally, we will struggle to get it right globally. Being a good neighbor is seeing everyone as a neighbor no matter what. We love them, we care for them, 
We sacrifice for them. And when they see that abnormal neighborhoodness, neighborliness rather, when they see that abnormality, it will confuse, befuddle, and make them want to have conversations with us because it is so absolutely different. But Acts 1.8 says that we are to minister to our Jerusalem. You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to do this. If we try to do this on our own power, we will mess it up and mess it up often. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to make us better neighbors. My challenge to each and every one of us is that we will pray and ask the Lord to make us better neighbors so that we can improve the neighborhood, not just live in a religious system. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you have given us the capacity to be good neighbors. I thank you for examples like Fred Rogers, who was a great neighbor, who was a pastor, a lover, and a minister of those who were nearby him. He sacrificed a lot for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of being a neighbor. May we be like the Samaritan man on the road who was a good neighbor, who showed mercy, compassion, and love, and sacrifice, and he sought to love and know that broken person. May we break down all the divides and love no matter what. In your name, amen.